Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And today I'm really excited to have a really inspiring woman with us tonight. Her name is Tony Bazil. Now, she has worked with thousands of people as a social worker for the last 30 years, mainly with children, youth and family. She's been working with vulnerable people all this time, building programs at a statewide level to help them. However, in the last three years, she's moved into the wellness space and wanting to reach optimum goals rather than minimum standards. And it's been quite a difference and shift for Tony. She also coaches people in transformational coaching and now owns Gravity Float, a wellness center in Northcote in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Tony. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So, Tony, I'd love for you to start with how did you enter the wellness space and especially from where you were located for many, many years, like looking after vulnerable people? What prompted you to actually enter the wellness space? Well, seven years ago, I thought I was getting myself into a little uh, investment with a wellness centre called Gravity Float. And it was a single modality centre and we had it under management. And I thought, this is lovely. I get to float as much as I want uh, because it's my own place. But what that then turned into is a different journey where through my own story of burnout from being in quite a giving position and quite stressed position for 30 years, I actually needed to take some time off from work, rethink my priorities, and I realised that I was actually moving very quickly down a very tight spiral uh, into anxiety and depression. And uh, unfortunately, I had already started into the spiral downwards, and people noticed it around me, but I wasn't actually ready to admit it to myself. Because at the end of the day, a fixer who that most social workers would actually consider themselves. We fix other people's lives. We coordinate other people's lives. You don't seem to have the permission to need it yourself. So I wasn't very good, uh, not good at all, in fact, at asking for assistance. And my GPs could see that I needed some help and support and kept recommending that I might want to try some medication. And I fought that pretty neatly for about two years. So in the end, however, um, as I took some time off work, it actually became quite obvious that I couldn't return and I needed to really reassess my priorities in life. I actually needed to put myself first for the very first time uh, and I was about 50 at the time. So this wasn't something I was very comfortable with. It also had to, I had to admit that I was vulnerable I was mortal, I had needs, and I needed to have my cup filled, not always fill others. As simple as these gestures might be or these thoughts might be, it was incredibly difficult for me. And what I found is that this was a very common story um, of women of my age. And it didn't take much to find other stories that were very similar that at 50, you'd actually reached a place in your career that was very demanding or senior there might be some more seniority more responsibility aging parent teenage kids 
your own marital needs that may or may not be unmet because you've now been together for 20 and in my case 33 years and as a result there's some wear and tear that needed some attention and it's funny because we're probably very accustomed to getting our cars fixed and getting our homes redone when we need to but we don't take the same approach to ourselves and I do see that there's a bit of a gender difference here where men tend to have some better boundaries around this than women. We make ourselves very available to all who's needed. So children, husbands, friends, aging parents, as I've said. And that takes a toll when you're actually not putting some protection around your energy and looking for ways of re-energizing yourself in a very deliberate fashion and doing things that you enjoy doing, not just going along for everyone else's ride, you know, attending that social function that your husband needs you at or taxing the kids around to the multiple events that they have. So I'd fallen into that space and uh, both of my parents had been, uh, mum was terminally ill with uh, ovarian cancer and I was her primary carer and then my dad passed away about three years later. And that took an an incredibly emotional toll on my body, my mind, and my emotional state. But it was all in hush-hush and very silent, secretive mode that not even my children were aware of it. So I started slowly maybe taking on board some of the GP's um, suggestion, and I did go on to antidepressants. They did help make the day functional. I didn't like some of the side effects, but they did get me out of bed. They did get me interacting and getting me to a therapist. I also signed up to a myotherapist to start working on my body and releasing some of the trauma that I'd been storing at a cellular level, muscular level. Uh, changed my nutritional plan, completely changed my uh, movements. I literally spent two years, three years just working on me. And it was quite revolutionary. So what I found is that there was a very common story and need amongst other women of my age. And what I actually came to become aware of is that there was a similar story also with men in their 50s. And, uh, and quite often they had stopped talking to their wives and, and the wife had stopped talking. The relationship became a bit stale. The children became the focus. And as a consequence, and for an unknown reason, I, I tended to be attracting this age group cohort of men as uh, coaching clients. And what I realized very, very quickly after the first three or four, that there was a way to actually support not only um, the client that I had in front of me, but also the women that stood beside them by doing this work directly with the men. And it was mind-boggling. It wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't something I, I went seeking. It really was um, quite extraordinary that it was coming to me. And, uh, and I thought I would build a, a clientele with women. So the universe decides to send me men. And it was quite remarkable how open-minded they are. Men have got more of a disposition to seeking good performance and they would often arrive wanting to speak about a new business venture that they wanted to undertake. 
And I've even had one who said to me, don't you go giving me marital counselling because I'll be out the door. And it was became very apparent even to him after two sessions that he had to talk about what was happening at home because it was impacting immensely on his emotional state and his availability for new experiences. And so quite often we'll start off with one issue and we start unpacking what's really behind it and you look for triggers that create behaviours that are behaviours that we've had for a very long time and we keep repeating despite being in very different situations. And when we go to this, we often go very quickly into relationships, relationships with partners and children and parents. And we start unpacking the habits and behaviours indoctrinations that we have had about our role, our identity, expectations that have been placed upon us and then we place upon ourselves and I did I found it really insightful and almost illuminating that there was an opportunity to through the men to work to support the women because I could provide the men with another perspective and um or questioning them and um, and, and encouraging them to be curious about other perspectives position that I'm finding they don't do very often they get quite set in their own experience and they don't consider a situation from the perspective of their children or of their wives but to their credit once that is opened I have found the clients that I've been working with very receptive to um, appreciating that they may have only seen it from a very very narrow lens and we're, another common um, aspect that I found in working with men is that they do take care of themselves more readily than women do. Their self-care is, uh, I'm not quite sure if it's built into something to do with the masculinity or their need to keep vibrant and, and youthful, but they tend to work out or they tend to be runners uh, or they tend to be connected to a sport much more often than women are at the same age. And that would be because they can do these things because quite often the partners at home supporting the running of the family and the running of the household as well as working. Um, and so that's got a wear and tear factor on the partner. I found that the incredible insight that has come with some very simple very simple conversations. I can honestly say they haven't been complex, deep, psychosomatic or, you know, trauma therapy orientated. Really some probing questions that are open-ended that the client gets to choose how to respond to has really resulted in amazing results. This one client who told me not to be his marital counsellor, for instance, he decided that he needed to apologise to his daughter for an outburst that he had made uh, in relation to something she was trying to convey to him. And she took him, he took her out for um, a dinner. And over this dinner, they calmly talked about the event. And she provided her perspective and he provided his back. And he had said he had never had that kind of engagement with his daughter and he couldn't believe that showing some vulnerability and admission of just not knowing and knowing he got it wrong, 
tried to be right, but knowing and recognizing he got it wrong. And he admitted that to her, as well as admitting that he was under a lot of pressure at that, this particular point in time, was astounding in terms of her insight and compassion that she was able to show back to him. Similarly, he then, he's very much a doer, this particular client. So the next day, he makes a date with his wife. And they've been, they've known each other for 35 years and they were high school uh, girlfriend, boyfriends. And so he again sat down and apologised, started with an apology. And he said he had never done that before. And he articulated her perspective as he understood it. He then also articulated where he was at and why he basically got as um, angry and agitated as he did. And she replied back in a calm manner with no arguing, no raised voices. And they have actually come to this conclusion. They may need just to keep living as friends rather than as lovers. In this, and he was absolutely astounded and very, very proud of himself to boot. <laughs> so this was quite a remarkable um, thing that has happened. And also the men are quite happy and open about talking about their energy from their energy at work, their sleep patterns, and even their sexual habit. And they will be able to discuss how sexuality has changed for them as they've gotten older. And they see themselves in a partnership with their wife or their partner that becomes one of mutual respect. And some quite often, once relationships are in their later stages, it's very, it can be common that sex isn't on the table as frequently as it may have been once before, but they will actually work with their partner in terms of where their partner's at. So if it's been childbirth or menopause or an illness or just sheer exhaustion, it really has uh, been surprising how compassionate many of the men have been in relation to um, sexual intimacy and um, sexual health. And giving them some context about what happens for women at different life stages has been really insightful to many of them. Cursory, they will make jokes about what menopause means to, to sex in a marriage. Uh, and the whole jelly bean, you know, I don't know if you've heard about the jelly bean jar, you know, put the jelly yeah. beans in the jar when you first get married in terms of how often you would have sex at the beginning of a relationship. And then uh, take them out as you get older and you basically will never balance it out. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of jokes about it. The men can be very thoughtful and very considerate uh, in relation to how their partners are feeling. And, um, and I think there's been some work that I've done where I've actually asked for the partner to come in and I've really played the role of mediator. This doesn't follow a model, any clear and straightforward model of coaching um, per se, but it's been what's been needed and it's been with the consent of both parties and it's been quite extraordinary. There was one other couple who had lost a child. It was a stillborn and it was three years ago and they were still both grieving the loss of this child. And they, unbeknownst to one another, were blaming each other for that, for the loss. He was blaming himself because they had to move for his job 
and the house needed to be packed up and he believed that had brought on the miscarriage. The child was in the second trimester. Uh, the 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 uh, the baby was in the second trimester um, in utero, and she was blaming herself because she hadn't been strong enough to hold on to the child. So we basically through some just clear questions, some curiosity about how each other's been feeling, they were able to share incredible grief together about where their feelings had been at and the self-blame that they had and shame that they had been holding on that it actually cleared them to be able to move forward and see themselves moving forward in their marriage when they had both been thinking that they were um, on the brink of a separation. Wow. And this was all because coming to talk about the stress that he had been suffering at work and how he could develop better habits and strategies on how to stress manage. And really, his emotional state was being affected by this grief that he, and blame that he had been carrying for three years. So transformational coaching to me is really around making the change in someone's life to the point that they cannot go back. It's irreversible the awareness that's been created in the discussion or the work done together realization of where behaviors have been stemming from ownership boundaries and basically looking at um, caring for yourself emotionally physically um, as well as mentally as a package holistically and then how that flows on to your family because none of us isolated beings, we all need to operate in groups, couples or groups, um, whatever that may look like in your life. But no, none of us are immune from the fact that we do better when we're connected to community. And so when the individual is much more aware of where they're at, what belongs to them, what belongs to others, and where the trigger points are of the things that keep coming up for them, you basically lead to really real change, reformative change, change that means you can leave um, that past behind, get the monkey off your back and move into that new space of being the person you want to be and living towards a vision of where what you'd like to see your next phase of life be. And that never stops. You know, I've, I've also worked with men in their 30s and it's their different goals and different visions, but it's still the same and it still involves their parents, their partners and their friends. So even if they don't have children, the friendship group becomes really important at that age. And I've found that there are patterns um, within that 30-year-old cohort as there is in the 50-year-old cohort. And it's been quite an extraordinary insight. Wow. Wow, Tony. What a fascinating story, but also so inspiring and so hopeful as well. And I love when we spoke before the podcast, I love how you said your intention was to go out and help women, but you ended up helping men, but you actually were helping the women via the men, which is really interesting. I'd love to dive into the why of why women are not putting themselves first in terms of self-care. And I was doing a bit of research before this podcast and having a look at what's stopping them is it guilt self-worth self-esteem feeling selfish and it's really interesting just to share a couple of stories when i speak to patients i know i see many women 
various different age groups. And it's really interesting how when they, when we talk about self-care, because self-care is so important, yes. reducing that stress response whatever way is comfortable. So whether it is spending time once a week on yourself or, you know, going for a yoga class or having a treatment, it could be in any form. Women find that a challenge and they also find it quite guilty doing it. And it was an eye opener for me to actually, actually explore what's going on there. Why are women not putting themselves first? And especially mothers as well. Mothers, I see there, uh, there's a lot of guilt in mothers about spending money when they're not earning. And that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, what's your experience in, um, um, yeah. My particular story comes to mind in my own, my own experience where I had uh, basically been into my journey for 18 months in terms of understanding why, um, why I had breached burnout. And my therapist gave me homework and insisted that I tell my children which I could tell you, I, it felt like, I don't know if you've been on a roller coaster going down where you feel like you're about to die. Uh, roller coasters make me feel like that. And it was one of those moments. I literally felt that my, I just couldn't do it. Though I took my courage in my hands and sat down after dinner one night and it told them that I'd been off work for 18 months. I hadn't been well. It'd been because of um, where I was at with my anxiety and depression and I wasn't coping very well. And um, my son asked some cursory questions, but my daughter turned around and said, uh, why didn't you tell us sooner, mum? And I promptly answered without a hesitation, well, I'm the parent and I'm there for you and I've got to carry, you know, you've got to come to me with your troubles. I don't come to you with mine. And she turned around at the whole, the age of 12 and said, who wrote that story? That was literally wow. her words. Who told you that? Who wrote that story? And I was really speechless. She left me speechless. So who wrote that story that we weren't allowed to ask? We weren't allowed to be vulnerable. And I think it is still, as far as we've come with gender equality, I still think the subtleties are there that women of primary caregivers still. I think the, the it's still very subtly enforced that we're the glue in the family and we smooth the path through for everyone to have their needs balanced and met. I think we also put the pressure on ourselves in terms of wanting to keep achieving and striving in all areas, um, knowing and observing that men don't try and do that. Men make choices about whether they take on big jobs or they take on jobs that they can do for eight hours and then come home and be present to home. Of course, there's many generalisations in what I'm saying, and there are much, many more fathers who are staying at home and husbands who are supporting wives and wives who are supporting husbands and, and husbands staying at home. Partners, I should say, not just husbands, but partners of either gender and relationship makeup. So we have this great diversity, but somehow women are still feeling that pressure to carry the load. And I wonder at times whether we put the pressure on each other as well as women not just individuals, but also wanting to keep up with um, the woman who can do it or who is driven to carry a role as a doctor or a surgeon and still be a mother and, um, and a daughter and a sister and a, and a friend, because that all takes time. But at some point, we have to come to realise that we only have so many hours in the day and we get to choose 
what it is that we want to focus on. And there are times where children may need to hear no. They just need to hear no, I don't have time, or I'm I'm not going to go to that extra play group or the shopping centre, or you may need to take the bus. Those are simple things. But there are still the challenges also about the level of commitment that we make to everyone else's needs. I know, for instance, at Christmas, for instance, I make sure everyone's got their outfit for Christmas before I go and buy mine. Okay, and that I became aware of that two years ago. And then I'm rushing out 24 hours beforehand trying to get a Christmas outfit together. It's a small and, and, you know, it's amusing anecdote, but it's probably an example of some other bigger things. Prioritising the kids getting their Nike shoes over you buying your your name brand jacket that you want. You know, I know I've been guilty of doing that quite a lot where the kids will want something that's a little bit more expensive with a name brand to it and I'll take the thing that doesn't have the name brand because it'll do. Wow, so interesting. And it goes on to mums who are not working and the guilt surrounding spending on themselves. And it's so interesting. I literally just had a conversation with a mum last week and she was just so aware that she's lost the joy in her life. She's lost her drive, her passion. And when you ask, you know, what brings you joy, what excites you, it was all about how she's serving everyone else in the family. And how is that important when it comes to the medical world is that it translates into chronic stress. It translates into those micro stresses. But what it ends up to be is weight, difficulty shifting weight, difficulty sleeping. And it actually stems back to what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our thoughts, what's bringing that cortisol up, which is leading to all of these different parts of the body, which we end up focusing on in a medical consult. But when you go back, it's going back to the micro stresses, going back to what brings you joy. What do you want to do? And the one thing that came up was the guilt of not working and as a result, not being able to look after herself. And it was really interesting when I was doing a bit of research and there were so many studies going on about mums and the different roles they take up. And they literally work 96 hours a week, which is hilarious, isn't it? It's just, we don't even think about it from cooking to driving to childcare to miscellaneous tasks to being the counter. Running household. We actually really minimise what, what effort it takes to run a household. Absolutely. And from bringing the counsellor to the photographer, to the teacher, literally mums, we don't give them enough credit in the number of roles they take. They did a recent study and it actually shows on average, they should be earning $230,000 a year for all what they do. And it's just interesting, isn't it? Because we don't see that because we're not seeing it something tangible in the bank account. It's actually all this labor of love that they're doing and also not, you know, not recognizing how much work and effort they're putting in to be able to treat themselves. What are your thoughts around that, Tony? It's definitely what I've observed in the space of time. Um, The observation is that it's noticed if it's not done rather than if it's done. Basically, that's the sum total. So when the fridge is empty of food, there'll be the, well, when are you going shopping? rather than, oh, thanks for filling up the fridge. (laughs) Wow. Um, So I I think it's a mindset thing too in terms of how we train um, our children and our partners and the people around us to 
to treat us in terms of expectations. And really, there comes a point where boundaries need to be put into place around um, role shifting as children get older, more responsibility being asked of them. We are in an age now that children are more dependent than ever before, So, um, which is ironic because uh, all they want is their independence. <laughs> but they stay at home longer. Parents are actually um, paying for more. You really don't hear of a lot of uh, children from middle-class families moving out at 18. They, they will tend to stay home and understand. And then the parents also welcome their partners in, their girlfriends and their boyfriends then become absorbed into that household as well, which creates another, another person to look after. So I think it's it's always it's a need that we need we need to actually stop and have a think about what roles do we need to carry because they're part of our responsibility as a um, as an adult towards who we're, whomever is in our life and it's worth doing that every couple of years because the responsibility you give a seventeen year old should be more considerable than what you give a ten year old and what you give a five-year-old respectively. And they're quite capable of doing a number of things around the home. So we've negotiated in our 16 that the kids were to cook a meal a week. Um, now, I'm not going to say that they actually cook 52 meals in a year. They don't. But, you know, we probably get a good 20 out of them. And then we also are teaching them life skills. And it takes a pressure off um, parents to have to come up with even one meal a week. Um, and, if, and if you've got two children, then that's two meals a week. And they're learning their life skills in terms of um, you being able to be encouraged by the fact that if you're not around um, or if you choose to go on a three-month holiday when they're 20, they will survive and they will eat. And it's not always about Uber Eat. But I think there's um, – but also – the permission that we give ourselves, I think there is a self-esteem issue in terms of prioritising oneself, the need of being deserving, which is really um, important. And the points that you've made in terms of how the body remembers, the body keeps score, and there's a book written on that, and it is, it's been scientifically proven now that we accumulate stress there's traumatic stress where you see something, experience something, and that's stored in the body as a shock. And that even one event of observation could um, have someone in a state of post-traumatic stress syndrome. But um, but let's what we're talking about here today really is accumulative stress, even vicarious stress, where cumulative is where we kind of add on the layers slowly, you know, um, day by day, we, we're just putting a little bit more, a little bit more onto ourselves and we don't notice how little time we have left to ourselves or even um, thinking space with the ruminating um, thoughts. But vicarious trauma is when we're constantly listening to other people's worries and concerns and helping professions, nurses, doctors, social workers, psychologists, are really at risk of um, vicarious trauma where they're dealing with other people's life, really serious life issues. And in hearing, just hearing those stories can actually create layers and layers of trauma over time for these particular professions. And in these professions, what are they mostly made up of? Women. 
Absolutely. Wow. I'm literally nodding as you're speaking yeah. right now. Going. And so taking on other people's traumas, stories, we do the right thing and we're there in a non we present non-judgmentally, we listen to the story that they're presenting, we come and work through some type of pathway for them or with them, ideally with them. But there's a little bit that just stays with us. There's a piece that breaks off and, and kind of sticks to us. Even if we've got armour on, you know, it can still wear that armour thin. Have you ever noticed even wedding rings? My mother had a wedding ring that she wore for 30 years. And it used to be as thick as my one was when it was new. And then looking at it 30 years um, down the track, it had been worn, worn so thin that I could actually bend it um, between my fingers. And so even metal has a stress point where it wears if it gets rubbed often enough. And I think that's what we don't recognise as much as women. That's not to say men don't experience something of this. I actually think it's there for men as well. But I think the greater part of the roles that women play in family, friends and community means that the rubbing and the wear is more with a, uh, with uh, with us in our gender. But we don't have someone necessarily doing the caring over the top of us or telling us necessarily to stop. And what we do is then self-soothe. And what do we self-soothe with? Sugar, alcohol, um, ice cream, you know, things that feel Happy. nice <laughs> and, and feel like they're yeah. celebratory. When I reflect on my, some of my poor eating, when I get into my really bad eating habits, it's about getting something that feels delicious and delectable and, and celebrate that I would associate with being in a celebration mode that I would indulge in that as a way of self-soothing. And what happens, of course, is that you put on your weight, the cortisol still is high, you're hypersensitive now because you're having the highs and lows with the sugar flux, um, fluctuating, and it also then affects your sleep, which then affects your mind and your mood. So we do get caught in this terrible hamster treadmill type of um bad reward systems or poor reward systems that don't actually fuel us emotionally and uh, mentally in the right way. Wow, absolutely. And what a great way to end, just a beautiful reminder of how important it is to take action now and, you know, stop, have a look at where life is, what boundaries do we need to set, what do you need to do to look after your mind and body? And rather than waiting for pain points of burnout or illnesses to develop. So really amazing, amazing points, Tony, and such a fascinating conversation. I, I feel like we could go on for hours talking about it, which is amazing. However, we will ask you, where can people find you? Well, I Gravity Float and Wellness is located at 559 High Street, Northcote in uh, Victoria. And our phone number is 03-8394-6690. But we've got a great website and we've got all of our things outlined, um, all of our services outlined on the website. And um, the coaching website is actually being, is under renovation. So if you give the centre a call, leave your name and number and I'd get back to you about any coaching that you would like to do with me. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Tony. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.